everything you can. Everything you say will be held against you. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the weekly uh, UK Sangha. Um, I hold the I host these calls every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. Um, today we're here with uh, a couple of my good friends. Uh, it's it's really good to see you guys. And there's no topics or um, questions off the bat, so I have a sutta prepared uh, to read here. And it's called uh, The Development of the Faculties. And this is Majjhima Nikaya 152. And um, this is a pretty relevant sutta to me right now because uh, I dislocated my shoulder. So I've been experiencing a lot of uh, painful sensations. And um, this sutta kind of gives inspiration of how to practice with uh, those kinds of painful sensations and uh, anything else that the mind finds uh, disagreeable or doesn't like. So uh, I'll just get right into it. And also, it's a good it's a good sutta to really tell you what's possible uh if you continue on with the practice um it's gonna it's gonna explain what the actual capabilities of a noble one is uh when the the faculties of the path uh, have been fully developed so um i hope this can provide some inspiration okay thus have i heard on one occasion the blessed one was living at kanjagala in a grove of mukalu trees. Then the Brahmin student Uttara, a pupil of the Brahmin Parasarya, went to the Blessed One and exchanged greetings with him. When this courteous and amiable talk was finished, he sat down at one side. The Blessed One then asked him, Uttara, does the Brahmin Parasarya teach his disciples the development of the faculties? He does master Gautama. But Uttara, how does he teach his disciples the development of the faculties? Here, Master Gautama, one does not see forms with the eye. One does not hear sounds with the ear. That is how the Brahmin Parasarya teaches his disciples the development of the faculties. If that is so, Uttara, then a blind man and a deaf man a uh, deaf man will have developed faculties according to what the Brahmin Parasarya says. For a blind man does not see forms with the eye, and a deaf man does not hear sounds with the ear. Okay, so essentially what, what just happened here is uh, some uh, student of a different teacher uh, came to uh, visit the Buddha, and uh, the Buddha asked him, um, how does his teacher teach um, the development of the faculties and the faculties pretty much means uh, the factors of the path or um, the enlightenment factors and um, he says his response is uh, one does not see form uh, with the eyes and and one does not hear sounds with the ear so he's saying that like literally doesn't see anything or hear anything. And the Buddha's response to that was. Uh, 
Well, then if you're blind in death, then that's the same as being enlightened. So it uh, doesn't really make sense um, the way that it's taught uh, for him. Um, and then uh, when this was said, the Brahmin student Uttara um, sat silent, dismayed with shoulders drooping, uh, head down, uh, glum without response. Then knowing this, the Blessed One addressed the Venerable Ananda. Ananda, the Brahman Parasarya teaches his disciples the development of the faculties in one way, but in the Noble One's dis discipline, the supreme development of the faculties is otherwise. Now, now is the time, Blessed One. Now is the time, Sublime One. For the Blessed One to teach the supreme development of the faculties in the Noble One's discipline. Having heard it from the Blessed One, the bhikkhus will remember it. Then listen, Ananda, and attend closely to what I shall say. Yes, Venerable Sir, he replied. The Blessed One said this. Now, Ananda, how is there the supreme development of the faculties in the noble one's discipline. Here, Ananda, when a bhikkhu sees a form with the eye, there arises in him what is agreeable. There arises in him what is disagreeable. There arises in him what is both agreeable and disagreeable. He understands thus. There has arisen in me what is agreeable. There has arisen in me what is disagreeable. There has arisen in me what is both agreeable and disagreeable. But that is conditioned, gross, dependently arisen. This is peaceful. This is sublime. That is equanimity. Yeah, so I'm going to stop there and talk about that. Um, yeah, so pretty much everything you see, um, what the mind does in a response to anything and everything that you see, is either the mind goes me likey or me don't me no likey. So <laughs> you either like something you see or you don't like it. So it's either it either um, creates a pleasant or unpleasant feeling. And this goes for everything you see. Or both pleasant and unpleasant at the same time. And um, the correct way to respond to this experience happening is to understand uh, understand that those uh, responses is conditioned, um, dependently arisen. So, and another another way of saying that is it's not self. So, it's just the mind responding on an instinctual level to the experience of sight um, uh, saying I like this or I don't like this and creating a corresponding pleasant or unpleasant feeling. But that is just the mind doing what the mind does. And it's not really uh, you. So you're not really choosing to like it. So it's not really you that likes it. And it's not really you that's experiencing um, a craving or aversion for it. It's just kind of dependently uh, arising based off the conditions of having um, having eyesight. And um, 
this understanding, so this disentanglement with uh, the mind's responses to what it sees is what leads to um, uh, equanimity, okay? So it's not that you don't experience anything unpleasant or pleasant or agreeable or disagreeable. It's that you quickly realize uh, what the mind is doing in that moment and then return to uh, a peaceful uh, state of equanimity, or at least that's the practice. Um, the agreeable that arose, the disagreeable that arose, and both the agreeable and the disagreeable that arose uh, cease in him and equanimity is established. Just as a man with good eyesight, having opened his eyes might shut them, or having shut his eyes might open them, so too concerning anything at all, the agreeable that arose, the disagreeable that arose, and the both agreeable and disagreeable that arose cease just as quickly, just as a rapidly, just as rapidly, just as easily, and equanimity is established. So it's using a metaphor here. Um, the, the experience of something being agreeable or disagreeable um, comes to an end as quickly as closing or opening your eyes. And there's a return to uh, equanimity. Um, this is called in the noble one's discipline the supreme development of the faculties regarding forms cognizable by the eye all right so um is there any questions about that or anything anyone wants to say no okay I, i'll just keep going then um here we go it's going to get kind of repetitive by the way um but there's a there's new stuff in each one. So it's going to go through all the different like senses. So, so far we've done the eye. Again, Ananda, when a bhikkhu hears a sound with the ear, there arises in him what is agreeable. There arises in him what is disagreeable. There arises what is both agreeable and disagreeable. He understands thus um, ellipses. So it's just the same the same paragraph from the previous one. And equanimity is established. Just as a strong man might easily snap his fingers. So, so too concerning anything at all, the agreeable that arose, the disagreeable that arose, and both agreeable and disagreeable that arose, cease just as quickly, just as rapidly, just as easily, and equanimity is established. This is called in the noble one's discipline, the supreme development of faculties regarding sounds cognizable by the ear. Again, Ananda, when a bhikkhu smells an odor with the nose, there arises in him what is agreeable. There arises in him what is disagreeable. There arises what is both agreeable and disagreeable. He understands thus ellipses and equanimity is established. Just as raindrops on a slightly slope, sloping lotus leaf roll off and do not remain there, so too concerning anything at all, 
the agreeable that arose, the disagreeable that arose, and both the agreeable and the disagreeable that arose cease just as quickly, just as rapidly, just as easily, and equanimity is established. This is called in the Noble One's discipline, the supreme development of the faculties regarding odors cognizable by the nose. Again, Ananda, when a bhikkhu tastes a flavor with the tongue, there arises in him what is agreeable, there arises in him what is disagreeable, there arises what is both agreeable and disagreeable. He understands thus, ellipses, and equanimity is established. Just as a strong man might easily spit out a ball of spit collected on the tip of his his tongue. So, um, so too concerning anything at all, the agreeable that arose, the disagreeable that arose, and both the agreeable and the disagreeable that arose cease just as quickly, just as rapidly, just as easily, and equanimity is established. This is called in the Noble One's discipline, the supreme development of the faculties regarding flavors cognizable by the tongue. All right, so there's a theme here. So it's um, simply spotting out um, whether you like or don't like something as you see, hear, um, taste, touch, feel things. And when you like something and you don't like something, uh, both of those conditions is dukkha. Um, because if you like something, then you then your the next step is wanting it, and if you don't like something, then you want it to go away, right? So realizing if you're paying attention to how quickly the mind works, uh, moment by moment, realizing ooh I like this, ooh I don't like this, uh, realizing that that's dukkha, then returning quickly. Um, returning rapidly to um, equanimity. So relaxing and letting go of that. Uh, not realizing it's not me. Letting the letting the painful feeling disappear. Letting wait, wait, the. Liking, liking something is uh, dukkha. Yeah, liking something is dukkha. Because if you like something, then you want it. Yeah, but you already have it, right? Like, if I'm listening to music, I'm like, oh, I like this song. Like, yeah, I'm but enjoying that music. But then it's already going away. Hmm. It's disappearing. So I'm saying, so like, best to return to peacefulness, I guess. Return to peacefulness. Yeah, you you can like something. The, see, the point here, Avery, is that liking or not liking something is not a problem at all. It's actually, mm -hmm. it's natural. It's it's almost, it's guaranteed to happen. But mm -hmm. what, what happens after you like or don't like something? Normally what, normally what happens when we like something is that as soon as it disappears, because it's going to disappear, right? You mm -hmm. like a song, you're in, you feel high from the song, the song is over. Mm -hmm. And you might you might even want to replay the song and get that same hit of dopamine or whatever. And you replay it and it's not really yeah. the same, right? 
Hmm. It, it you listen to the same song like trying to get that same like uh happiness out of it after the first time you listened to it and it was really hitting you like you really liked it you're really in the moment mm-hmm. the second time you still you may get some of that pleasure again but the third time probably none of it and the fourth mm. time and less right yeah right Dang so that, 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 sort that, of that, like that's that's the dukkha that i'm talking about so can you the 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 trick here is can you like something and then let it go right like Mm. it enjoy it but then let it go return to uh peacefulness don't don't try don't try to derive your happiness out of anything in the world so anything you see, anything you hear, anything you touch, anything you taste. Yeah, Robert, you want to say something? Yeah, sure. A couple of things to add. So um, this is a great topic. Thank you for bringing this up. Um, so one is I think that there is a certain beauty to the impermanence of phenomena, right? Right. So, you know, a, one funny example of this is, people that love to go to to follow the Grateful Dead, you know, they're going to follow the dead all over the country constantly. And every single time they go to the concert, it's a little bit different. Right. And so they're not really chasing the same thing. They're chasing kind of a variation of that thing. And they keep going, uh, not because they're living in the past, but because they find the uniqueness of each concert to be fulfilling in and of itself. And, there's also that great story that uh, Don Morado tells about a John Cha and a John Sumato and the women at the Watt. I posted a little comment about it just now um, where when they would have like an, an ordination of a monk or some big ceremony, um, uh, you know, all the, the women in the community would show up and they would be dressed to the nines and everything. And a John Cha asked Sumato, Sumato, what do you think of that? And he said, I like it, but I don't want it. <laughs> right. That's the important thing. So that, so yeah, so like that's what determines uh, whether you return to equanimity or whether you get lost in, into ignorance and you get lost in dukkha and you get lost in the hedonic treadmill. Um, and another thing, uh, um, uh, that brought up for me that you mentioned the Grateful Dead concert is the uh, metaphor of the river. So you never touch the same water in a river twice, right? Yep. And so the river is a metaphor for our experience. You never, you never see the same, the same exact thing twice. You never hear the same exact thing twice. Um, Reality unfolds like a ri- welcome, Marcus. Good to have you. Um, reality unfolds like a river, and things are constantly appearing and disappearing, and you never experience the same thing twice, or ne- never experience exactly the same thing twice. So, if we can realize this, we can not make ourselves suffer by trying to get back what has disappeared, and realizing that new new things are on the way. Right. 
that actually that actually works pretty well with music because whenever I listen to a song I really like, it is kind of different every time I listen to it. It's a totally different experience. Yeah. So if, if you can just take each moment as it comes, as a fresh and new moment, and not not uh, crave for any type of past pleasure that you got. Right. Don't compare this moment to a past moment. And don't project it into a future moment either. So that's what makes you. And that's that's a that's good advice. That's very uh, wise to notice to be able to know that uh, to know that when people crave an experience, they're craving something that they probably experienced in the past, or they're craving a certain thing. When right. instead, they're not going to get the same thing twice ever. Right. Exactly. So just having the wisdom to realize that you can save yourself from the suffering that you would would have caused yourself. That's the whole point is waking up to this stuff. And um, if you would never had experienced anything at all, there would be nothing to crave for. So craving only arises in relationship to a past experience. If you think about it. Or, or something that you can imagine is real. So like, imagine is real in the future. So somebody tell, like bef when you're a kid, before you knew about, before you hit puberty, before you knew about sex, you didn't want sex, right? Um, so <laughs> like, there was no craving in your mind whatsoever for it at all. It was only when you had learned about it, did you want it, right? So you projected into the future a a potential pleasure that's not there. Or something that you do get that you don't have anymore. You imagine it from the past and compare it to the present moment and uh, cause yourself uh, a sense of lack, a sense of not enough, right? Instead of taking each moment as it comes, seeing it for what it is and then letting go of that. Okay. realizing that whatever it is, is going to disappear. As soon as it appears, it's already disappearing. Whether you like or don't like it. So, so chill out, relax. Don't get too invested in it. Not, um, it's not a good investment. The world is a bad investment because the world is doomed. <laughs> you know, like there's no such thing as the world lasting forever or or moving towards any kind of good thing like even if um human humans uh, civilization managed to not destroy itself eventually it, it will come to an end just because the sun's going to explode right um the universe will eventually not be sustainable for human life in the world. So I'm talking, I, I, I'm, I'm getting a little theoretical here, but um, to bring it back to the real, our experience of the world. So what I mean by the world is everything we see, everything we hear, everything we uh, uh, touch, everything we taste, that's the world. Okay. And it's not a good investment to invest your happiness in it because it's going to disappear, right? It's already disappearing every moment. And then eventually uh, the body will die 
Um, yeah, go ahead, Robert. Yeah, there's also a way in which impermanence can, and being being uh, cognizant of impermanence can make a lot of everyday phenomena more pleasurable. Like if you uh, if you read Proust, he'll have an entire page on the reflection of sunlight in a cup of tea. You know, and just how beautiful this particular moment is with the way the sun is reflecting off the cup, the teacup, and how the the cookie tastes that he's enjoying with his cup of tea, and how this is all fleeting and this sort of thing. So this is something that can bring us great pleasure too if we realize how special every moment can be in its own right. Yeah. So enjoying enjoying what what is there instead of uh, imagine imagining what's not there and and causing yourself uh um suffering so enjoying what's there whatever it is you know the the little things in life the the colors of the evening sky the the um subtle sounds of nature the the feeling of your butt against the chair anything just as long as it's a real experience right um i'm gonna continue it unless there's something else uh, i'm gonna continue with the sutta oh, oh, okay. oh yeah just to bounce off that really quick um i had a conversation at my work a few months ago and my boss was talking about how we would all be better off if we lowered our standards for happiness which is right. true um but then i said well you know, I think a healthier way to put that is enjoying the smaller things in life instead of lowering your standards. Enjoy the small things. I, th I just think that's a more positive framing. You know, I would, I would take that one step further and say, get rid of the standards entirely for happiness. <laughs> Why do we need a standard? You don't you don't need a reason to be happy. In fact, everything that you might derive happiness from in the world is going to cause suffering. Um, that happiness is conditioned. So the idea is to kind of turn away from it all and realize happiness that is unconditioned. So unconditional happiness, which is possible. So it's not, it might sound far out there, but it's possible. And that's the goal of any spiritual tradition. Like if you look at any enlightenment tradition, like it's about realizing happiness that is not um, conditioned upon uh, uh, the senses or like conditioned upon a uh, phenomenal reality. Because phenomenal reality is. Uh, it's insubstantial, it's empty, it's fleeting. Um, OK, so I'm going to continue. Um, again, Ananda, when a bhikkhu touches a tangible with the body, there arises in him what is agreeable. There arises uh, what is disagreeable. There arises what is both agreeable and disagreeable. He understands thus ellipses and equanimity is established. Just as a strong man might extend his flexed arm or flex his extended arm. So too concerning anything at all. The agree agreeable that arose, the disagreeable that arose, and both agreeable and disagreeable that arose cease just as quickly, just as rapidly, 
just as easily and equanimity is established. This is called in the noble one's discipline, the supreme development of the faculties regarding tangibles cognizable by the body. Again, Ananda, when a bhikkhu cognizes a mind object with his mind, there arises in him what is agreeable, there arises uh, what is disagreeable. There arises what is both agreeable and disagreeable. He understands thus ellipses and equanimity is established. Just as if a man were to let two or three drops of water fall onto an iron plate heated for a whole day. The falling of the drops might be slow, but they would quickly vaporize and vanish. So too concerning anything at all, the agreeable that arose, the disagreeable that arose, and both uh, the agreeable and disagreeable that arose cease just as quickly, just as rapidly, just as easily, and equanimity is established. This is called uh, the noble one's discipline. That is how there is supreme development of the faculties in the noble one's discipline. And how Ananda is one of the uh, disciple in higher training, one who has entered upon the way. Here Ananda, when a bhikkhu sees a form with the eye, hears a sound with the ear, smells an odor with the nose, tastes a flavor with the tongue, touches a tangible with the body, cognizes a mind object with the mind. There arises in him what is agreeable. There arises what is disagreeable. There arises what is both agreeable and disagreeable. He is ashamed, humiliated, and disgusted by the agreeable that arose, by the disagreeable that arose, and by both the agreeable and the disagreeable. That is how one in a is a disciple in higher training, one who has entered upon the way. Yeah, so that's kind of extreme, but um, there's some power in that, some like meditative power, some meditative instruction. So a disciple in higher training who has entered upon the way is ashamed, humiliated, and disgusted by uh, anything that was agreeable or disagreeable. Right? That's kind of that may seem like a like really extreme, but uh, really what that's talking about is uh, disenchantment for it, realizing it's impermanent. So. So um, re-engineering the mind's tendencies, habitual tendencies to when it when it likes something, to to reject it, to not want it, right? The liking already happened. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with liking something, but to reject to want it. So seeing all of that mind's capacity. To make us suffer as uh, um, disgusting, humiliating. <laughs> and how Ananda is one, a noble one with development, with developed uh, faculties. So it's going to talk about the capabilities of a noble one with uh, developed faculties. 
Uh, hear Ananda, when a bhikkhu sees a form with the eye, hears a sound with the ear, smells an odor with the nose, tastes a flavor with the tongue, touches a tangible with the body, cognizes a mind object with the mind. There arises in him what is agreeable. There arises in, uh, there arises what is disagreeable. There arises what is both agreeable and disagreeable. If he should wish, may I abide perceiving the unrepulsive in the repulsive. He abides perceiving the unrepulsive in the repulsive. If he should wish, may I abide perceiving the repulsive in the unrepulsive. He abides perceiving the repulsive uh, in the unrepulsive. Right, so I definitely um, can't do this yet. But so the idea is that um, everything you experience is uh, in some sense a mental fabrication. So if you can uh, develop the meditative capacity to realize what the mind is doing um, at, at the like at the rapid level it does it so at the level of liking something and experiencing repulsion or unrepulsiveness so another way to say repulsion or unrepulsive is wanting or not wanting right Repul rep uh, rep repulsion is like oh get that away from me i don't like it so it's unpleasant and then you're like get it away from me and this is very quick instinctual reaction. And the idea is that uh, a noble one who has developed uh, the faculties completely uh, can, you know, toy around with it and perceive uh, light, uh, wanting and the not wanting and not wanting and the wanting. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I think it's good and uh, it's very inspiring for practice. Uh, he abides uh, perceiving the unrepulsive in that. If he should wish, may I abide perceiving the repulsive in the unrepulsive and the repulsive. He abides perceiving the repulsive in that. If he should wish, may I avoid both the repulsive and unrepulsive, abide in equanimity, mindful and fully aware. He abides in equanimity towards that, mindful and fully aware. That is how one is a noble one with the developed faculties. So he can uh, just be equanimous and mindful and fully aware, irrespective of uh, pleasant or painful feelings, or agreeable or disagreeable sights, sounds, taste, touch, etc. So Ananda, the supreme development of the faculties in the Noble One's discipline has been taught by me. The disciple in higher training who has entered upon the way has been taught by me. And the Noble One uh, with developed faculties has been taught by me. Uh, what should be done for his uh, disciples out of compassion by a teacher who seeks their welfare and has compassion for them that I have done for you, Ananda. There are these roots of trees, these empty huts. Meditate, Ananda. Do not delay, or else you will regret it later. This is our instruction to you. 
That is what the Blessed One said. Uh, the Venerable Ananda was satisfied and delighted in the Blessed One's words. All right, so that's the end of the sutta. Is there any uh, questions, comments? Things anyone wants to talk about? Sure. So yeah, I find this uh, this uh, bit about the repulsion and the unrepulsion and this sort of exercise of uh, uh, sort of reversing the uh, habitual reaction to, to a sensation or, or perception to be pretty interesting. I've actually uh, kind of tried it out a few times, sort of with sights, which is probably, you know, I think it's def different for everyone, but for me, like, the act of seeing feels like it's it's sort of a little bit less tangible. Like, for example, if I were to experience a pain in the body, like that is a very strongly repulsive feeling that is hard to right. deal with. Right. But yeah, at least with at least with sights, I've found that uh, right. sort of uh, getting rid of this repulsion is is easy. But when I have like a strong liking for someone like turning that into disliking is, is very, very difficult. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So this, um, that's a good point. Um, so yeah, I, so recently I dislocated my shoulder and you know, it's not really very easy to just take the, the, the intense painful sensations and, and not be repul, not be, uh, experience any repulsion to that. But yeah, that's a good point. If you see something, if you see something normally you wouldn't like, or see something normally you would like, um, that might be an easier place to start uh, the practice. And then uh, for for um, the other thing you're talking about, um, um, so liking someone, that would be a mind object. I mean, if the person isn't there, it's a mind object, right? So um, it's a mind object, your idea of that person, and you either want it, or you think about your boss and you don't want it, right? <laughs> or you think about uh, maybe somebody you don't like, your some resentment comes up. That would be repulsion to a mind object. Now, if you're if you're in the presence of this person, you're either seeing them, uh, touching them, hearing them, uh, <laughs> tasting them, maybe you know, smelling them. <laughs> So, and then you experience uh, repulsion or a wanting or not wanting in a response to those senses. So, um, I think uh, probably the main takeaway from the sutta is bring things into a very direct reality of your experience. So, the practice is experiential based on moment to moment mind responses to our senses. It's like it's not really a concept. So it's not really the mind object of thinking about meditating itself. It's about um, uh, developing um, or waking up to um, what the mind does as a response to what you see, um, everything you experience, and then letting that go as quickly as possible and returning to the meditation or returning to um the peacefulness returning to the equanimity and then you pra just practice oh wake up that's dukkha ah 
let that go, relax, chill out. I don't need that. I can be satisfied without that. You know, practicing satisfaction. I don't need a pleasant feeling to be satisfied, even. I don't need a pleasant sight, sound. I can be satisfied without that. So that would be the returning to the equanimity. And then spotting when the mind goes away from that, when it wants something or doesn't want something, spotting that um, as quickly as possible and returning to the, ah, it's okay, I don't need that. I can be happy, I can be satisfied. And letting that experience vanish. Um, and then doing it repetitively so you um, develop uh, unification of mind around the experience of equanimity. So returning over and over and over again, uh, it's going to develop an inertia. The, eventually the mind will naturally be letting go, naturally be returning to equanimity. And uh, you can get into, uh, that's how you get into first jhana. So you can get into first jhana, and then you're going to be experiencing piti and sukha, which is, um, um, it's experiences that the mind likes. PT is liking. So to, and then not change the practice, keep returning to the equanimity and just let, let the PT and Sukha vanish or, or let the wholesome thoughts vanish. That would be second jhana and then letting the PT and Sukha vanish. So not, not, uh, not, not being, uh, not not grasping to the PT and Sukha, letting it vanish, appreciating it and letting it vanish. Uh, that would be going into um, third jhana. Uh, at least the the just the PT vanishes, and then there's just Sukha would be third jhana, and then one step further, uh, not clinging to the even the Sukha, um, and then that vanishes. Um, that would be fourth jhana. Right. So this so the practice is the same in the beginning is the same in the end. Right. Um, that's why I really like the sutta, because it kind of. Um, I think it's a good like teaching of the fundamentals. But it doesn't mean that there isn't a progression still and there isn't a coming out of the hindrances and getting into first jhana and then congratulate yourself for getting into first jhana. That's a great thing to relish and appreciate that. Um, but um, I can be satisfied without first jhana. First jhana is impermanent. You know, even if I get into first jhana, I'm not going to be in first jhana forever. So if I make my happiness dependent upon first jhana, then I'm going to cause myself dukkha, right? So I don't need first jhana to be happy. So that's like it's it's just always bringing it back to the fundamentals. It's practicing satisfaction. And that's the path to uh, Nibbana or total. Nibbana is like just unconditioned happiness, happiness that's not based on anything, any sort of phenomena. Um, uh, that is what um, time and time again and in my study with the suttas says is the magnum opus of meditation or like that's the fruition of the path right and the way there is by practicing being satisfied by practicing being satisfied without 
without anything, right? Just being happy with nothing or just being happy with the way things are. Just being okay with things. Being okay with like equanimity is a fancy word for saying being okay with the way things are, right? That's a much simpler way to put it. Taking a deep breath. Relax, let go, smile. It's all good. It's nothing to worry about. Nothing is worth clinging to. Everything that you think is important really isn't that important at the end of the day. So release yourself from the prison of wanting things to be different than the way that they are right now. I mean, even even the mind object of Nibbana or the mind object of being a noble one, right? Attaining anything, that's a mind object. And uh, you can be satisfied without that. You can realize that that mind object of getting something that you don't have is what is creating your dukkha. Like Damarado says, um, someone who can be happy without enlightenment is more enlightened than someone who claims to be enlightened, right? I'm good. Like, I don't need to be enlightened, right? I'm, I'm practicing happy without that, you know? I make mistakes. I'm human. I don't need to be enlightened. I'm okay. Just the way I am, right? So the practice. Ah, what a relief.
All right. Well, it seems that the talk has come to its uh, natural conclusion. Um, you're welcome to uh, sit here and uh, appreciate uh, noble silence with me, uh, unless there's another question or a topic. Um, floor is yours. <laughs>